Blog Talk Radio. Preseason game, so you know Stanley Cup. Here we come. I'm excited. Undefeated in the 2018 preseason, uh, game winners by Michael Rasmussen uh, the other day, and now Evgeny Svechnikov tonight. So uh, the future is is looking bright in terms of how how well we're playing. Now, obviously, it's been like split squad and stuff like that, but Chicago in this game sent. Uh, Kane and Taves and, and Sod out, but they didn't send their their high end defenders. Um, Detroit went with uh, about a like what their most experienced line was was Nielsen and Helm and Nyquist, uh, but they had Zadina and Athanasiu and, and Vanek playing. Uh, Daly and Erickson were playing, but then they had a bunch of other kids. Giovanni Smith got in that game. Svechnikov was playing. Uh, Ronick played tonight. Uh, Hicketts is the only play- guy who played essentially both games. So, um, it, it, but you weren't able to to watch in any of the the first two games, right? No, unfortunately not. I was not able to. Nah, it's all right. I I got to see enough to like. I'm now convinced. Uh, Libor Shulak should make the the opening night roster, and I'm kind of like readjusting to that like because it's it's brand new to me but he looked really really good in this game yeah his his name coming up is kind of like it reminds me a couple of years ago when like uh Ouellette and Sproul were um you know the the next hot item in uh in the Detroit defensive pipeline and then we start hearing about this um Matthias Backman guy and uh, how good he was supposed to be and how he kind of, you know, felt like he came out of nowhere a little bit. But, uh, you know, obviously he's not with Detroit because he went back home to Sweden to play. And, you know, Suak actually seems like he's, you know, legit NHL caliber player. So, you know, it feels a little bit like that, just um, kind of one step higher as far as feeling kind of like, oh, who's this guy that came out of nowhere? that uh, we should have been thinking about, but we haven't been so much lately. Yeah, I feel like we've been burned so much by, by overhyping these, these kind of dark horses that um, I may honestly be underhyping him 
that's that's going to change though. So like, sorry, uh, Dennis Chalowski, who I thought was the number <laughs> one to make it out of out of camp. Uh, you're you're bumped. Go go do something else for a little while. Or you know we could wait for the first injury and and actually root for like more than one kid to make it on the defense at a camp. That would be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's you know there's a lot of options they could uh, they could you know pursue with like you know platooning or um, you know even having. You know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be so insane. I think for the Red Wings to just run two defense, uh, two rookies, uh, you know, in the bottom two pairings. So I don't know. There's there's lots of options, and you know, they're not they're not tied to just to just playing one one rookie defenseman this year. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, with the the age and injury history of all the defensemen. Uh, coming right out of camp with with two rookies is probably not going to happen, or like two younger guys, because uh, Hicketts, I don't, I don't know, he would technically count as a rookie, but I don't know if I, I think he would technically count as a rookie. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I look forward to somebody uh, clarifying that in the comments and, and yelling at me for being wrong. But uh, we did, we don't exactly have to, to break preseason with that, but uh, trust that some guys are going to get hurt pretty quickly. Yeah, they're they're too old not to. Exactly. Uh but we'll we'll get all the, the roster mission <laughs> later. First off, we've we've got a lot of a lot of Red Wings stuff to talk about since the last time we recorded and the the biggest news we'd be remiss uh it it feels like yeah, we've already covered this to death on the blog, but we I haven't really like talked about it anywhere. So, this is a good opportunity to just start right off with I thought that they the team was playing the long game that we were going to get a farewell season out of Henrik Zetterberg and then next year with all the the foundation having been laid for oh his his back it, it lasted as long as it could and and now that was the last season you were going to see of him. Everything moved up, and no, we have already seen the last of Henry Zetterberg and feel kind of robbed of that farewell tour. But I mean, it's a degenerative back condition. It's not going to get better. It's not going to allow him to to continue to play, and it just kind of like sucks. And we should have had enough time to process it by now, but. I don't know. I, I still feel super raw, like like I haven't processed it. What what are your thoughts on on the Zetterberg stuff? Um, yeah, I um, I mean, I've sat down to write something about kind of my my feelings and like how I'm decompressing from the Zetterberg retirement news, and like both times I've just been like, I'm I'm just like not ready to like put all this together yet, you know. So. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it just it just feels you know, it feels like we're kind of blindsided, even though, even though um, you know, the news kind of slowly leaked out this summer that like uh, you know, there's there's a chance Zetterberg might be done. Oh, and there's actually there's a pretty decent chance Zetterberg might be done, and then it's you know, looks very likely, and then yeah, for sure his his career is over. Um, 
you know, and you didn't, we didn't get to have that emotional release um, in the, you know, like we had with, uh, you know, with the Joe Lewis arena and like that wonderful last game at the Joe against New Jersey um, that, you know, where the Joe Lewis arena got to go out on a win. Um, You know, we didn't get that kind of that, that farewell with, uh, with Hank. So it's, um, it's just, it's just kind of, you know, you're, you're locked out in the cold a little bit with it, but I mean, that's how, that's how things go. You know, that's how things go sometimes. Um, people's careers just can, just can end like that. And, uh, you know, it, it sucks. It stings worse. Cause it's, you know, you know, one of the like top three to five Red Wings of, you know, of my lifetime. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just, that's just how it happens sometimes. And it sucks, but such as it is. Yeah. In a way, I guess it, it is kind of fitting, but you know, cause Hank essentially came out of nowhere for a lot of people and so did the news. Now, in fairness, a lot of Red Wings fans did like, did call this at the very first offset of, of the smoke being fire and a lot of non Red Wings fans called it too just because of uh just because uh this is the year that his his uh, Hank's uh compensation finally went down uh to a level that was that was lower. Although it's it's not the the one million dollar level. Um you know, I was just this entire time I was just sticking my fingers in my ears. Ah, I can't hear you when anybody was talking about that. But yeah, hearing it straight from them, it's like I wanted to live in in denial for at least a little while longer. But there really wasn't a, a very good, a better time to have announced it. Like you know, waiting until October to let us know that Hank is done would have felt even shittier. So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we do yep. have uh, Kyle on, on board now. So, Kyle, we're talking about yeah, how the, the, Hank, the Hank news uh, sucks yeah, sorry, a lot. Sorry, a little late. <laughs> no worries. We uh, okay. we we smoothed it over with the crowd already. They're, they they all forgave <laughs> all right. us. Just as long as everybody isn't mad yeah. at me. I appreciate yeah. it. So, you guys are talking about J- Hank. JJ is going to say something later in the show. They're going to be very mad about, and they will be they will totally forget about about you. You know. I will certainly say something that will make everybody way more mad at me than uh, <laughs> being late. Um, but you guys were talking about Hank. I was listening in, and uh, I guess I'll just go ahead and weigh in on it now. Um, the way I look at Hank's, uh, I guess, you know, we don't, I guess we can't call it retirement technically, but, you know, it, everybody knows that it's retirement. Um, it's uh, one of those things where at first, you know, it really hurts. Um, and then we're talking about something who's, you know, less than a week old here. Um, it hurt really bad, and it was one of those things I was not ready for. But, you know, at, when I thought about it, you know, kind of in a vacuum, uh, it was it was a really good opportunity for me to think of, of what Henrik Zetterberg was as a player, uh, not only to the team, but to me as a fan. Um, and that is, I think that he will go down as one of the most underrated captains uh, for this team, uh, definitely in the lifetime, in my lifetime, uh, barring a complete, uh, you know, I guess just utter bizarre weirdo 
you know, kind of situation. Um, you know, because we're talking about once, you know, one of the most dominating two-way players, uh, you know, now kind of just turned into, you know, a guy who just literally can't play anymore because his back will just keep getting worse and worse. Um, and I'm just, I'm actually kind of really happy that um, they made the decision, uh, they being Henrik Zetterberg uh, and his, you know, his, whether it be his wife, and, you know, his family or, you know, him and his agent, they made the decision to say that, you know, enough is enough. Let's just call it, call it, call it in and um, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's end it here, you know, on a high note, uh, if you want to call it a high note, because he did have a good year last year. So um, I'm just happy to assume that he will be. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, see, that is a good point with the concept of, you know, the, the lack of the, the kind of farewell tour, the, the big risk of associated with that was like, this is going to be like a really challenging season and the back issue was going to keep him from being able to play. And it was basically just going to be a, a limp along go, you know, going through the motions just to get that, like, uh, just to get the farewell tour done with. And that feels like unfittingly self aggrandizing for Hank, basically, like he's never been that kind of uh, a captain, so yeah. yeah. Given the like, I would have liked for him to have a, a farewell tour, but the the risks associated with with what like essentially could have happened, not necessarily to his legacy, but like just how it could have like ended up being yeah. a shit show. Um, I'm yeah. glad we don't have to risk that, and I'm glad that we can. Go through with the knowledge that as the season goes along, uh, Hank was done when he was done. Um, yeah, and I can spend my time being angry that, like, the games he lost to Lockout are never coming back, and you know, I I don't think that there's a, a doubt that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But it may delay him because that was his most dominating years were were lost to a full season of that um, mm-hmm. of labor disputes and like I I, you know, I mentioned this with with Datsuk as well and it it just sucks and like yeah obviously all the contemporaries were too but uh, if if you listed a a bunch of guys who uh, the elite players who really got hurt stats-wise by uh, labor disputes, Henrik Zetterberg is, is definitely a, near the top of that list. For sure, and I, I agree. Like, when you think that, like, if you give Henrik Zetterberg one more year of, like, his prime, I mean, I mean, you're basically looking at another, like, you know, I mean, I already put him on the same level as Henrik or Daniel Sabine, like, you are certainly looking at another, like, clear-cut, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it. If, if, not, if he isn't already at that point, you know, at this point. Yeah, I think he may have to wait to, you know, through one year, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I'm, but... I'm just being a ridiculous fan, but, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's also a little silly. It's basically he he fell short of the one thousand point mark, and yeah, considering he scored 
uh, let's see, 43 points before the lockout and then 85 points after the lockout. Um, you know, during that uh, that loss season, he was in the Swedish Elite League scoring a, a point per game. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that that one lockout, uh, you know, is, is what separated him from having 1,000 points. And then you cut out the, the next lockout where they lost half, another 34 games to labor yeah. disputes. And then he, you know, came back and played 46 games and put up 48 points that season. So it's a it's silly way, but I mean, humans are are voting, and so like he did not reach the 1,000 point plateau, uh, even though he really should have. That fucking sucks. But then again, that like it it does narratively it fits perfectly in in terms of Zetterberg was has always been kind of, has always been underrated and will continue to always be underrated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might as well. It's, it's just fitting. Yeah. He'll go down as one of the most underrated two way players in the modern, you know, the, in the analytics era, there's no doubt about it. So in terms of, I don't know. It's it's so unfair to compare him around the league in in terms of like the fan like captains because really my level of of captaincy is Steve Eiserman and then Nick Lidstrom yeah. and then like on if I'm speaking totally honestly yeah I don't think he he lived up to them but that's a, that's a plateau that's that's super hard to reach and if you look at Basically everywhere else, Hank is is one of the the greater captains of of this entire uh, NHL era. Yeah, and and obviously, like comparing him to the past, you know, the, obviously he was he was dealt a very different hand than uh, than especially Lidstrom was, but also Iserman, you know. Um, you know, Zetterberg was captain on the team that was like absolutely on on the downswing when he became captain, and um, you know, I you know even though for most of Zetterberg's years as captain, those Red Wings teams were better than a lot of the um, teams from the early era of Eisman being a captain. Like, you know, the just the the complications that come from having a salary cap, you know, kind of. Um, you know, forced a lot of those Zetterberg captain teams into being very mediocre. You know, so it, it's you know chronologically it's so hard to compare. But yeah, as far as um, you know, captains around the league and, and you know his contemporaries, it's hard to think of of, of a player that really kind of compares in their uh, you know in their stature. Yeah, Not somebody sure. had to be the captain of the Red Wings as they, as, as what Iserman built crumbled, and I can't think of a better guy to have to have done that. And it it physically pained me, as I know it it pained others to like watch as Zetterberg had to start taking those horrible questions from the diggers and and basically answering for. 
a team that just was not capable of, of winning games. Um, but at least, like, we never ended up having to, like, make a Derek McKenzie type our captain during that time period. <laughs> yeah. And that's – I'm <laughs> – I'm so uh, and it, it, no, nothing necessarily against <laughs> Derek McKenzie, and I thought that like when uh, the Panthers handed over the C to Eckblad, I, I thought that his his response about how he he really treasured the role was was really classy and really well done. But it's like that's just not the kind of guy I'd, I want as my team captain ever. Yeah, and, and he's not so even he's I'm not really even captain think- anymore, right? So yeah, kind of weird how. Like, the, like when you th- really do think about it, like the the, the term captain in hockey, it's uh, become so over sensationalized. I think, like you know, but at the same time, I mean, you look at like how Colorado, like it was like the story with Colorado is like it was the, the youngest captain in you know in, in so long, and with uh, Gabriel Landeskog, and you know now it's just like you know you see a team like the Panthers who was like you know Aaron Ekblad, and now it's you know Alexander Barkov. It's like you know it's. It, it feel, I really do feel like the the, the captain uh, role has become so uh, you know it, it has become sensationalized like over sensationalized um, you know and this is me just being a biased jerk because I come from like JJ like you said you know the the greatest dynasty of captains back to back captains to probably have ever played the game so I mean you know. Yeah, it feels it feels very greasy and like marketed now the the role of captain yeah, exactly. for a lot of teams, you know. And, and, you and know, to be go ahead, go ahead, Cal. No, no, no. I no. You go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, and and to be fair, there's a lot of teams that um you know that don't do that, um, that still have like uh you know pretty strong like captaincy traditions and and you know it's not like the sensational um you know, spectacle sort of thing, um, like what uh, Colorado has done and kind of, you know, the way, I mean, it is impossible for anything with Sidney Crosby not to be a spectacle, you know, um, back 10, 10, 12 years ago now. But, uh, you know, it's like those few teams, um, you know, just kind of like drag down like what it means, I think, to be captain, um, by having these kind of like sensationalized captaincy storylines that essentially they can run to the media. Right. And, you know, yeah, speaking of uh, ruins everything. <laughs> hey, man. I can agree. They ruined I can all retirement too. Colorado can, it can, can ruin everything. And you know what, speaking of captaincy and how over sensationalized is it, let's, over sensationalized captaincy a little bit and talk about how the captain is actually going to return. Um, and this is me just kind of hijacking the podcast at this point, even though I showed up late, so I'm sorry. Um, no, please do. I, so, I suck okay. at hosting. You're way better. Good seg- Good segue. <laughs> um, it, uh, so uh, as of now, you, everybody, if you are a Red Wings fan, uh, should know uh we are dealing with a possible huge turn of the tide with this with this organization, and that is the fact that Steve Eisman has stepped down as Panthers GM, and he says he wants to move home to Detroit. He has not confirmed what that means. Obviously, we know that his wife lives here um, in Michigan, so he has three 
three kids who are going to school, and he wants to spend more time with his uh, his kids, uh, so or his family, I should say. So there, to me, it sounds like there's a lot of smoke to that fire. Um, and is it time that things come full circle, JJ? I think you're the. I think you really. I we want you to weigh in on this. Oh man, I was so uh, thinking like. Before this, it was always like that. I don't know, like, necessarily why Iserman would come back at this point or what he, uh, like, at least until he's won a cup with Tampa. But there is there is so much smoke pouring out of out of all of the moves here that I I cannot imagine, like, uh, I'm, that it's not going to happen at this point. Um like obviously, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think that the the best bet is he basically spends a year um, letting things cool down in his transition, and then comes back to to Detroit next season as Ken Holland takes over a, a different role somewhere else. But like he said, as much as he can say to really like avoid giving things away, but in terms of how dodgy he's been with his words, essentially parsing out everything. Like if it were, if it were different, if, if I were being led to believe differently, then I feel he would have spoken differently, but yeah, it, I want to, he wants to spend more. He want he told his players, I want to go, I'm going home. And yeah, uh, I'm really worried about the, the con- like. I think that that Steve Eiserman is a fine executive. I think that he's he's great um, in terms of of his ideas and and his capabilities. I'm worried that even a great GM can have a, a shit time. Like at, at this point, it's like. I'm just kind of nervous as, as much as I am excited about it. For sure. I think we I feel the same way. You know, there, you know it, there's not much that we've felt this positive about. I mean, and we're talking about, like, we're not talking about, like, you know, Steve, Steven Stamkos coming to sign with the Reddits. Well, you know, we're talking about something that has some legit traction for coming full circle here, uh, given how things transpired before and now how things are shaping up now. Uh, so, Mike, uh, what, how do you feel about it? Uh, when I found out the news, I immediately started making a list in my head of all of the things he could be doing besides, like, positioning a return to the Red Wings. And, like, made a list of them in my head because it's just, like, it's it's just, you know, it, it's – uh, this almost like too good to be true sort of feeling right now. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess that's, that says something about me that I'm like, so how is this? It's too good to be true. So therefore, like, how is this going <laughs> to turn out to be a disappointment? <laughs> um, you know, and, but like, I'll be darned if like, it's, you know, it, as like the day, the days after the initial announcement passed, it's like, there isn't, you know, we're not like finding any really damning evidence that he's definitely not coming back to Detroit and, and, or, you know, to, to the Detroit Red Wings eventually. And, you know, it's, uh, 
yeah, it, it, it's exciting. And, you know, like JJ mentioned, it also makes me nervous. Cause like, I think, I think Eisenman's, you know, a great GM. I think he's, you know, he's at least like a, a, a top five GM in the league. Um, and, and so that's really exciting that, uh, that, you know, besides all of the kind of like narrative reasons of, you know, the, the once in future King, like Arthur is returning, you know, to, to lead Camelot once again, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just a little, little nerve wracking because it's like, Oh God, what if, cause like his, he has a legacy established with Detroit and, and with the Red Wings and he could, you know, if he had just retired as a player and did like the Gretzky route and like stayed away from the game, like his legacy would be crystallized forever as like this, you know, like as close to perfect as you can get in sports. But, uh, you know, by having him come back to Detroit, if that's what he ultimately decides to do, that legacy, you know, reopens, um, you know, and there's the, the possibility of, of failure, you know, or, or of, of changing that perfect legacy, which is scary. But I think that, you know, and like that's just the cost of like a great challenge or anything worthwhile is that, you know, For sure. you know, he's going to risk. Oh, yeah, that's... The more I think about it, the yeah. more it's, I'm just angry with, with Colorado for, and ruining everything. They ruined jersey retirements. They ruined captaincy namings. Uh, they ruined... They, they're in the process of still ruining former captains coming to run the team and then ending up not doing a very uh, good job of, of that, although uh, jury's still out on, on Sackick's tenure as Colorado's GM, but like... Yeah, yeah. He handled the coaching position with Patrick Waugh was like a really big stupid idea in the first place. So I'm just like really mad about them because everything they do is ruined everything that like could actually be perfect. So hopefully, just like uh, has happened in the past, uh, history will repeat itself, and Detroit will just do it. They won't do it first. Colorado will will beat them to it, but they'll do it better. And more often, yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it. And now, like you know, we're talking about you know, let's make the turn here. Um, the big question now is how long before seventy uh, one gets the C? You know, because obviously that's that's the next guy to get it, right? I mean, for the longest time, it's been applicator, applicator, to Kaiser, to Kaiser. But I mean, I, I think it's come to a point where. Dylan Markin is the clear-cut next um, leader of this team. Uh, you know, do we think that, that that might be something that will happen soon? Is that something that will, you know, maybe take a little bit of time to transpire? Personally, I think that the team isn't going to go anywhere near reassigning the C, but, you know, as long as Henry Zetterberg, you know, I mean, the body, and I hate saying it like this, but the body is so warm, Um you know, it's going to take some time. There's going to be some growing pains, and I think it's best for the team to maybe avoid uh, jumping the gun and just giving the seat to someone and maybe spend a year or two trying to figure it out because, you know, you never know what happens in a year or two. So that's how I look at it. Um, Mike, how do you feel about it? Do you think that's something they should just hand over to, to Bill Markin or whoever, or is it something that they should just kind of hold off on? Nah, I mean, Dylan Larkin can have a letter this season, but it's got to be an A. 
Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, they need to. You know, it's they're kind of in a in a weird spot with three years left on Zetterberg's contract. If it was if it was less than that, if it was one or two years left on his contract, I would say mm-hmm. that like definitely weighed out Zetterberg's entire contract. You know, because he's you know he's still still technically like he's on the Wings payroll as a player until you know the spring of 2021. Um, you know, so it, it would seem fitting that uh, you know he he retains mm-hmm. the C until then. But that's that's three years. That's that's a long time to go without someone you know being the the captain and the de facto face of your franchise. Um, but sure. uh, you know, I um, you know I would expect at least one year without a captain, and um, you know possibly. You know, two two seasons wouldn't even really be surprising. Um, if they went further than that, that would surprise me. But um, you know, I, I expect in one or two seasons to have a very uh, you know a, a you know ceremony, a passing of the torch ceremony before uh, before a game or something. Uh, you know, sure, yeah, something symbolic um, to you know pass the letter from Zetterberg to Larkin. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. JJ, what about you? Yeah, I I, I actually went on record to say that uh, they shouldn't hand out the C while Zetterberg is still technically has an active contract. I've, I've actually kind of softened on that a little bit. Um, for the record, if anybody didn't see it, they did uh, show an interview with, with Ken Holland during the, the preseason game tonight, Thursday night, um, that basically asked how long before they hand out the, the letter. And he gave the, the standard non-committal answer, like, oh, we're going to have to make that decision before the season starts, whether or not we're going to, like, do the C or or go with, with three A's. And he literally he just dodged the question entirely. So uh, that didn't help. But I think that Mike is, is right. This year is way too soon. Let Zetterberg uh, hold on to that C for this entire season, essentially no matter what. Um, it just feels wrong to hand it off so so much or so quickly. Uh, I wouldn't mind a, a two-year. I, I do honestly think that three years is probably too long, but that it all depends on, for me, about how the rebuild process goes and the kind of the, how, how things are going in terms of the organization. Like, I guess the ideal situation would be the Red Wings have a a really promising season this year that we can blame them getting the number one draft pick on a bunch of like terrible, awful luck that we can't blame on the, the future of, of the organization and we can't be super mad about. And then next season, sometime during the season, it is clear that there is something special happening with the Red Wings, that they're getting ready to be contenders. Cause I don't think that it's going to happen as early as next season where the Red yeah. Wings are going to actually be contenders, but you can see it coming. Like you saw it coming with Chicago. You saw it coming with Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, and once they get to that point, then 
obviously it'll be a gamble, but taking the gamble to say, okay, we think we've got something special here, and Henrik Zetterberg coming out and saying, listen, I've been involved this whole time, I've been paying attention, I've been talking to him, and I've been so impressed that I... I, I can't imagine like still holding on to to the C that very obviously belongs to Dylan Larkin at this point, and doing it like that, and maybe even during the middle of the season, uh, handing in the C, or yeah, you know, as you get closer to uh, maybe I don't I don't know if you want to do it right before the playoffs. So there's kind of a, a weird consideration there in terms of whether or not if you don't do it by the middle of December, then yeah, you should just hold off. But it's going to be interesting to see like when the the right timeline is, but definitely I, I can't foresee it. It should be happening this year at all. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I don't want it happening in, at a turn where the team is in such a rebuild, you know, obviously the team is rebuilding. I don't want to just go ahead and give it to Bill Markin and have the team still take another year or two. And then it just, kind of turn into, well, Dylan Larkin can't turn the team around, so who the hell else can? I don't want that to happen. So I'm honestly okay with them just taking their time with it. If it takes a year, if it takes two years, that's totally fine with me. I just don't want to I don't want to turn this into some sort of point the finger blame game. I want this to you know, I want this this is something that should take time, kind of like a rebuild. So, you know, let's wait it out. We don't need a captain right now. We need we just need more good players at this point. Yeah, I think if you're going to expose yourself to the possibility of a point the finger blame game kind of captaincy thing, then you might as well just give it to Advocator right now. Yeah. Right, and I mean, honestly, speaking of pointing the finger and playing, playing the blame game, um, how about the Ottawa Senator? It's really just punting on Eric Carlson. I mean, talk about selling low on probably, I mean, we're talking about a trade that is as embarrassing as Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Um, If you have not heard the news by now, which I'm kind of concerned if you have not, uh, the Ottawa Senators finally pulled the trigger and traded Eric Carlson to the San Jose Sharks for a couple of, you know, first and second round draft picks and basically a bunch of uh, I guess you could say just like a like basically they traded for a couple of draft picks and that half of a five dollar footlong from Subway at this point. I mean, you know, they really sold low, and I mean, you can't really <laughs> expect much more or less from uh, the Ottawa Senators. But I mean, geez, oh man, like you had to think that maybe they would have gotten a little bit more. But it's one of those reasons, you know, one of those things where it's like, okay, the the San Jose Sharks now probably have the best blue line in the entire league, and looking over in the Ottawa Senators, it's like, okay, the NHL has to step in at some point and say, hey, you need to stop it. You need to stop screwing around because this is embarrassing. I mean, JJ, what do you think about that? I got mentioned on our on our sister podcast uh, for sure on, on their most recent episode, but um, according to the experts who rank the – uh, the prospect pipelines, San Jose had like the 17th best prospect pipeline in the NHL. And the prospects that they handed over in this trade were like, they're, I think, sixth and seventh best, maybe fifth and sixth. So like 
they're not the cream of the crop, but they didn't even give up the cream of, of the crop. And the the first round pick that that they gave up was, I mean, it, it's going to be late because, I mean, Vlasic, Burns, and now Eric Carlson on the same blue line. That's that's scary. Like, yeah. San Jose made a a really good trade. They made a really good purchase. Now they took advantage of because here's. It's kind of a cart horse thing in terms of how Ottawa like got screwed here because they're they're they made this bed they're lying they're laying in it now it's I think that they probably got pretty close to the best return they could have hoped for at this point but that's only because yeah. they've they've really screwed this entire situation up to the point where it's like that that became their best return. Like they had to build in, please keep him out of the East protection into this trade. Because like, I would be surprised if like, if part of the, the trade package was like, please don't play him when the one time a year, the sharks come to Ottawa because our <laughs> fans are going to- they're going to they're going to kill us for this. Like he was the face of their franchise and like despite all of that they they could have done, like they really uh, pissed in their own Cheerios this this entire thing and like they look they look sure. really really bad. Like I, I like so I can't imagine that the NHL needs to step in and just like, you know, Milnick, get out of here. It's embarrassing. Like and I love hating on on Ottawa, but yeah, I'm I'm honestly embarrassed for them and and for their their fans. Like I, a lot of people ask what the breaking point would be for for a fan, and I I have to say that if I were an Ottawa fan, if, if the Red Wings did this the way Ottawa has has done that, I, I think I would have reached my breaking point. That's yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like the way that it has all transpired is that the Ottawa Senators probably couldn't have ruined the, I guess, the value of Eric Carlson more. <laughs> I mean, they spent, like, what, an entire half of a summer kind of speculating if they were going to trade him or not, and then it finally happened, and then when it happened, everybody was like, well, you guys should feel bad for that. Um so, I don't know. But I guess if we're turning to different topics now, the, the, the other topic du jour, if, you know, I, you know what? No, Mike, do you have anything to say on the uh, Eric Carlson trade at all? Sure, yeah. I mean, JJ covered pretty well, you know, like the, the feelings of, of Ottawa fans and just like just the how bad of a trade that was. But I think like going forward for um, – you know, for Eric Carlson's career and how I think about him as a fan is like, I mean, two years ago, Ottawa made the Eastern Conference final game seven overtime. One goal was the difference between them making to the, making it to the Stanley Cup against the Predators or not. And Eric Carlson was like the most electrifying player, you know, in the playoffs that year, arguably. And, uh, you know, it's, 
you know, now he's been traded to the San Jose Sharks, which are going to be like a the most boring, scary team that uh, I can think of as far as, you know, a, a team that he could be traded to. Like, they're they're going to be very good, but just the, you know, the Sharks and, like, who they are and what their, their identity is, like, kind of from the narrative standpoint is like, oh, he's going to the – he's going to the Sharks. Okay. It's not like he got traded to, you know, Edmonton or something and, and you can, like <laughs> – lose lose your mind over the the Carl right. McDavid uh, you know combo or something like that um you know so you know that that's kind of the the other side of it for me is that like you know Eric Carlson's like such an exciting player and and I, like everything about this trade is just underwhelming and unexciting <laughs> that you know it's just uh you know, I don't know. I, I guess that it's just, I, you know, it's just kind of like after I got over the, the kind of how bad the trade was uh, for Ottawa. It's like, oh, okay, like, yeah, he's he's over in the Western Conference now, and he's playing for San Jose, and I, I guess we'll see him twice a year. And otherwise, I'm not going to think about him too hard because you know I I don't think about most of the Sharks too hard anymore. You know, and on a total side tangent, it's amazing how quickly, you know, after the wings switching to the Eastern Conference, I've gained this East Coast bias, you know, and, and don't care about any of these Western Conference teams. But right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, that's, that's a great I mean, point. I think I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of I think a lot of Red Wings fans probably share that 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 same thought. Um, but at the same same time, I still look at teams like San Jose and still hate them and I'm like, oh God, why why them any team? And whatever, I mean that's just me. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Hold gr- I hold on to I hold on to I hold I, on to them I, so I, tight. So I still get pissed off thinking about uh Dorton and uh Pavelski giving those like snow oh, showers God. to Howard. Like that just I like, yeah, yeah yeah stuff like that for sure. <laughs> All right. So uh I guess I don't know. I guess like that was the top of the jour around the league, really. I mean, unless I'm missing anything, uh, I guess JJ, you talked about the ugly Jets jerseys, but I mean, whatever. Those are just ugly, and I feel like that's a quick topic. Do you have? Is there anything else that I'm missing here? Uh, the Max Domi suspension is is new. Oh yeah, yeah. The, we do need to talk about that because um, it's funny because Max Domi. Um, this is not like something that should be a surprise to anybody. This is, I mean, he's just like, he reminds you of like that, that kind of guy. He reminds you of that Brad Marchand kind of player, except Brad Marchand is actually, you know, like, you know, the guy who puts up, you know, point per game or whatever, regardless, that has nothing to do with it. But the dude straight up sucker punched someone in the NHL just said, Hey, just sit out for the preseason for what you want. You know, you're not getting paid for anyway. So basically just, Take a seat, take a seat, and hang out until it's time to actually play real hockey. I mean, it's just it's so resounding to what the NHL department, you know, the player safety department of player safety actually is. Um, JJ, I mean, you brought it up. I mean, how do you feel towards it? I think that it's a a joke that it's only through the preseason. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously the 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 angle that Montreal fans have have been able to or analysts have been able to cleave to is like, 
Well, this does hurt the team because they were, you know, using Max Domi as a center, and that wasn't usual or natural. And like they did, they now they're not going to have the opportunity to build that chemistry. But it's like they were already a lottery team, and yeah. so creating something that's going to make them potentially stumble out of the gate isn't hurting the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Max Domi loses no salary for this. There's no lesson imparted for this other than, hey, maybe if you don't feel like playing all of these stupid preseason games that we kind of force you to to care about anyway, uh, maybe you should go sucker punch somebody and just give yourself a break. Now, obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily worried about the slippery slope of players like, ah, I found the loophole. All I have to do is build a reputation of being a shithead like Max Domi. Uh, but still, it's like, it just doesn't send a, a strong message that this is something the NHL mm-hmm. really seriously cares about curtailing. So, it's bullshit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's just, it, it, but honestly, it's like kind of like a ugly reminder of what, you know, the Department of Player Safety really is and what it how incompetent it actually, how incompetent it actually is. Um, Mike, do you have any feelings about that exactly? Like, you know, about the situation? I don't know if you saw it or not, but. Yeah, I, I, I watched the, the clip and uh, Max Domi is a tool. I agree. He really is. He's, he's, a, tool. he's a tool. His dad's a tool. I, I mean, they really did not. Yeah. And when it happened, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. It's stupid. It's unfortunate. I mean, obviously the answer is that when the Wings play Montreal, like Witkowski's got to be in. We got to call up McElrath. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I disagree. Advocator. <laughs> Advocator may as well not even skate out with gloves on. It's not keeping them on. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't know. It, uh, it, how about they just? I, I would say. You know what I would say? Call up Giovanni Smith. And let that happen. Yeah, I think that's yeah. better. I would love to see Giovanni Smith punch him in the head. It would be cathartic. It would be very cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so that, I guess that kind of tops the topic of the jour. Uh, Eric Carlson. Uh, Just real quick, I want to ask. I want to ask the whole thing yeah. this about Max Domi. Does he yeah. have the most punchable face in the NHL? Because he's got an asshole okay. face, too. Like he's just got the no, face okay. that yeah, That is a good question. Um, I mean, it is right there with with Brad Marchand. It is right there. Like, I'm telling you, it's like probably right on the same level for me. It's like him and Jonathan Cave, and Brad Marchand, they're all right there on the same level for me. Yeah, I'm right with Kyle. If we're talking about most punchable haircut, then I think Max Domi does win. But as far as just the full face goes, yeah, it's, it's tough with uh, <laughs> with Brad Marchand. Yeah. Oh, see, yeah, I I put him above Brad Marchand in, in terms of that. It, it may be because Max Domi looks a little bit more like uh, Sean Avery to me, and Brad Marchand. Oh, okay does look like he looks very, very vaguely like uh, pre-serum Steve Rogers. <laughs> wow. Nice. And that, 
like it like it just bumps him like just above Max Domi. But yeah, I agree. Brad Marchand has a very punchable face as well. Um, yeah. But I'm glad we got He's this been... worked out. Yeah, no, at least we, you know what, this is a very happy family we have here. All right, so anyways, gentlemen, we're going to move on to Positivity Corner. Um, we have a lot to be positive about because the Red Wings, as of now, are 2-0 and in the preseason. So I'm going to go ahead and kick off Positivity Corner with the fact that, man, I really loved watching Michael Rasmussen score that game-winning goal against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the overtime. Like, from him, like, Ben Solowski rings one off the bar, Dylan Larkin just picks it up, tosses it to right to Michael Rasmussen, who is literally in the right spot to just bump it into an open goal. Like, I was, like, I actually fit pumped at a preseason game. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really liked it, and it made me really happy and really excited. So, that's my positivity corner. Um, Mike, how about you, positivity corner? Go. Yeah. Um, yeah, that did, that uh, Rasmussen goal, I, I did get to watch that uh, that clip, and that did, like, put like a big smile on my face. Just seeing like Chalowski to Larkin to Rasmussen. It's like, I can get used to this, but um, yeah, I guess, um, <laughs> you know, a, a different topic besides that though is, um, you know, a lot of the, you know, the players seem to be playing well and putting up good numbers. The, the ones that you really kind of hope to uh, hope to see put up good numbers. So like Chalowski and, and Honek are on the are on the board um through two preseason games and you know have, have been given some responsibility um you know which is you know a good sign because even if they don't uh even if like Chalowski doesn't make the roster opening night, which is you know, he probably won't. But um it's a good sign that he's, you know, going to go down to the AHL with the Griffins and he's going to be expected to do big things with them as well. Um, you know, which is, you know, a good a good growth opportunity so that in a year he can, you know, can be with the wings. Or, you know, in six months when uh, you know, some players get traded and some players are injured and whatever. So um, you know, it's good to see those those young guys putting up some some points and and uh, you know being trusted with those important roles. So I, I you know that's that's my positive what I, my positive thought that I'm putting in the corner is uh, you know it, it it really feels like I mean it's kind of by necessity but you know the the preseason is you know. Um, going the right way, you know, outside of the wins and everything. I mean, you know, the preseason yeah. is going yeah. well. For sure. Yeah, no, that's, 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 a, that's a great entry into the positivity corner. Uh, JJ, um, what about you? I know you've got a positivity corner entry for us. Yeah, I'll, I'll tie that in with, with the, the kids and, and stuff like that. In terms of I – have been really gun shy about getting like hyped about our defensive prospects, considering that we just basically came out of a lost crop where I was really hyped about uh Woulette and Marchenko and Sproul and, and all those guys. And that was kind of like everything just kind of died on the vine there. I'm, I'm daring to, to dream and hope that, that the guy, the kids we've got now, the, the Shulak and, and Chalowski and and Ronick and and Hicketts and Sari Arvi, like I I think we really do have uh, some some special guys in that group that are are really going to help things. 
uh, in ways that the the last group uh, made me it hurt my heart. So um, go Shulak. That's that's I'm sold <laughs> on him. I'm 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 all in. I'm gonna call him Barefoot. That's my nickname for him. Because uh, my God, he is because the the Shulak. Yeah, he's he's massive and he moves well. Like he yeah. I'm just going to just go over the top, uh, total hyperbole. He's he's like if Erickson did everything he was supposed to do. <laughs> oh man, you just gave the kiss of death. <laughs> I know. Blame me. Just somebody, please cut that piece out and and turn it into a, a repeating meme. And when things all fall apart, just it is my fault for for saying that. But until then, fuck you, I'm right. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> well, as JJ said it, we'll close it out there. And as always, at the Positivity Corner, we always toss it over to JJ for a reader question. So, JJ, will you please take it from here? Yeah, right on. Uh, not so many questions, and uh, but uh, they're good ones. We'll start off with Hornecker. Based on training camp so far, who are your dark horse candidates for rookies to make the roster? Kyle, what do you think? Um, well, uh, judging by the two days I was there, I was there for Sunday, Monday. Um, honestly, my I don't even know if they're dark horse at this point, but it's got to be for me. It's got to be Heronic and it's got to be Rasmussen. Um, but I think if I were going way off the map, sorry, I had to sneeze. Um, I would say probably Giovanni Smith. That's going to be my dark horse. He's looked really good this time. All right. So that's my dark horse pick. And Shulak. Try to sneak sneak my answer (laughs) on on me. I got you. (laughs) Mike, who you got? Oh, God. I, I feel, you know. I feel now bullied into saying, you know, Shulak, and if I don't, like, you know, negative, no, no, no. negative Dark repercussions. Horse, you, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Dark Horse candidates. That's that's a tough one. Uh, you know, and Smith's a great a great pick for that. Um, you know, I I guess uh, the Dark Horse that I would say to make out of camp, I'll give it with a little caveat. I would say Hickett's getting regular time. Um, you know, I, my expectation is that Hicketts will be the seventh guy and, um, because he's, I think he, he'll be better as the seventh defenseman on the Red Wings than Hronick would. Um, so that, that'll be my dark horse pick is Hicketts, but he's, you know, he's getting regular time. Yeah. I don't really have a, a, a different good answer. I think the Rasmussen is a, a good answer, although I'm not sure that, like, I'm caught up on the concept of dark horse because I don't think he's a dark horse. I think it's a sensible pick um, because I don't think he has anything left to really learn at juniors. I think the Red Wings, the Red Wings benefit more from Rasmussen making it than I think they benefit from even Zadina making it. Um so, but yeah, and 
uh, Hicketts and, and Chulak and, and Chalowski has looked really good and, and Hironics looked really good. I, I don't think you can go wrong. I think that, that Hicketts is kind of owed that next chance, but I also don't want I want whoever wins the re- the remainder of the preseason to to win this battle yeah. for the one positional spot they've got. I mean, I mean, the thing about being a Red Wings fan is that literally every rookie is a dark <laughs> horse, I guess. Like any young player is a dark horse. Yeah. So, like anybody under the age of twenty three or twenty four, even twenty five, for that matter, is a dark horse. So, um, I mean, there's going to be a dark horse. <laughs> there will be multiple this season, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm going to skip the next question because we're basically on the same topic. Uh, Mantha Fodder says, realistically, what do you think our defensive pairings are going to be this season? Well, that's really difficult to really to, to kind of say because I think it's going to be kind of like a revolving door uh, on defense because there's no way I see a lot of them being healthy the entire season. Um, but so I guess if I'm looking at top pair, I mean, I think, I guess you can look at Mike Green being, I, I don't see Mike Green being healthy all season. I don't think I see DeKaiser being healthy all, well, DeKaiser, I could see being healthy all season. I don't know. It's really tough. So I guess if you're going to go anyway, I mean, your top pair that maybe would be healthy all season is Trevor Daly and uh, Nick Jensen. I don't know. Like, it's, it's tough for me to say, really. I hopefully you guys maybe have a better idea. Um, I, yeah, sure. I um, I mean, I think the the defensive pairings that, that the Wings roll out on opening night are going to be um, Erickson, Daly, DeKaiser, Green, Cronwall, Jensen. Um, you know, and that could three of those guys could be out by Game Five. Um. You know, I, uh, I'm only really confident in the long-term health of Daly, DeKaiser, and Jensen, um, and the other three. You know, could be, could be gone with whatever like knee, wrist, or neck issue um, that that crawls back up. So, um, those, that's the those are the pairings that I expect. But uh, you know, I expect that for game one, and then after that, I don't know. I definitely see that we will probably see at least, very least, two or three rookies this season for sure. Yeah, I, I think that I agree with Mike in terms of the uh, Erickson Daly, uh, DeKaiser Green, Cronwell Jensen on opening night. Although I think that it's going to be not necessarily an injury, but there's going to be a kid uh, on Cronwell's pairing by game three um, just because one of the kids is going to make the, the roster. And I don't think that Blashill is going to make him wait out that long. And I think that Jensen, even though I think Jensen's a, a fine defenseman is eminently placeable in that seventh D role and just bench him just to get a kid some experience. So yeah. whichever kid ends you, up winning okay, that so... battle is going to be paired with Cronwall on the third pair, I think. Mm-hmm. My question for you, JJ, just like a kind of a counter question to the question that was already asked. If you could have any player to fill that role with Cronwall, who would it be? 
As of right now, uh, it would be Chulak, but I have Chulak. Okay. Was, was Chulak playing the the left side or the right side tonight? I'm I'm trying to think. Yeah, he, he was playing. Yeah, he was playing on the left. Really the daily being on the right. Um, Cronwell is going to play the right, no matter where he plays. And right, yeah. So, like, I guess if uh, I wouldn't mind Chalowski getting an opportunity to play yeah, on Cronwell, right? Chalowski is my pick. Because I think there's yeah, a lot of, of good opportunity for Chalowski to to really learn from Cronwall, because. Uh, we all know the problem with Cronwall is that his body's not willing, not that his brain doesn't know what it's doing. Cronwall right, is exactly. a really intelligent defenseman. And he, probably has he knows a lot. A lot you can for sure. Yeah. So. Um, and the side note to that, Mantha Fodder question, are we ever going to see Daly on the power play? Seeing Cronwall on there over him makes me sad. I think we will this season. Yeah, injuries are going to define that. Yeah, agreed. So, going back to the Big Tech's D304 question, uh, any plans to bring guests on the WIM podcast like the first short dudes have been doing? Seems like it's been successful. Uh, and I'll, I'll answer that uh, in terms of it's – the scheduling difficulty with, with when we have to put this on there makes it hard. We don't necessarily say no to guests, but like we're not getting Craig Custins to come on at, at 10 p.m. on a Thursday night. So uh, we are hopeful to be able to be more flexible uh, with with guests, but right now we've got enough shit to shoot yeah. among us. So. I think, well, I think the, the, in the long term, we'll effort – for that, but it's going to take some time. Yeah. Uh, ENSRW has two questions. One of those is about Max Domi, which we already talked about, but the other one was which team will be the biggest disappointment this season and which will be the positive surprise team? Biggest disappointment will be the Toronto Maple Leafs. The biggest surprise will be the Buffalo Sabres. Just because I want to troll everybody. <laughs> I was gonna put Buffalo as the biggest disappointment. I think that they're still gonna be like really bad. Yeah, I know that's that's uh, I said they're gonna be just bad enough to where it's like, oh well, I was expecting worse, and then the Leafs will be like, wow, I was expecting way more. I mean, you kind of have to say that Vegas is going to be the biggest disappointment because there's no way they're going to be able to keep yeah. it up. You know what, though? I'm, I, I feel like I feel like I feel like the the Canadians, like the Habs, are going to be a huge disappointment somehow. And I'm going to feel so bad for Thomas Tatar because he's going to score like 15 points in like like you know like 45 games, and he's just gonna he's going to be like, you know what? I'm going back. I'm going back home. I'm out of here. Goodbye. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> you would. Yeah, that just, that just, I mean, Thomas Tatar leaving the NHL makes me sad, that thought. But uh, you know, the biggest disappointment, I think, is like, 
the Edmonton Oilers will always be the biggest disappointment until they like, you know, make the playoffs again and at least win one series and have like a hell of a second round against a really good team. Um, just cause the, you know, the, um, the, the cross of, of the Holy savior McJesus is now weighing heavily on their shoulders and you know it's it's (laughs) it's a heavy burden to bear for them um so i mean like mcdavid being stuck on a bad team is like is is perhaps like you know one of the biggest shames of of the league at the present um so that for me is that i i think the edmonton oilers will continue to be the biggest disappointment um and what will be the positive surprise team? Um, oh goodness, that's uh, that's tough. Um, you know, the Calgary Flames are always kind of a candidate to be like, it's like, oh hey, they're pretty good again. They might, you know, they could make the playoffs. They might win around. That'd be like, and and just because like you, you kind of forget about them so often that. Yeah, you know, I could I could see them being being a big surprise team this year. I'm gonna go ahead and redact my biggest surprise to say that the Ottawa Senators will be the biggest surprise. Damn it, Kyle. Sorry, <laughs> I, gonna, I know, I'm sorry. I was gonna say that. They're gonna win double digit games <laughs> and that'll be the biggest positive surprise of the entire season. <laughs> well, you had more of an explanation. I was just like my explanation would have been like because of course. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think none Vancouver. of us said that. So everybody, if, that. if it ends up happening, credit JJ with that. There we go. Uh, Peter asks, uh, ignoring the reality of contract issues, what is the best six defensive lineup you could put together using defensemen who are property of the Red Wings? Oh, Jesus, um, I'll 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 go ahead and kick this one off. I guess, like whatever. Um, mine would be uh, Chalowski, Green, Daly, Shulak, DeKaiser, Cronwall. And you know what? That's not even not even the best I could do, but that's what I'm going to roll with. Jensen, the number seven. That's uh, like I had the exact same, and I I, I was so ready for this. I have a spreadsheet <laughs> that I wrote down on before the uh, before the podcast. I would say Jensen should Jensen should probably be in there, but that's just what I'm going to go with. I uh, I thought about it as like, well, what would be the best uh, by the end of the season? Which grouping would be the best? And yeah, I had uh, Green Green with Chalowski, Daly with Shulak, and the Kaiser with uh, Hronik, actually. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I, they would not be the best at the start of the season, but I think you know they'd all learn a lot and become great friends, and you know. That's a certain, yeah, certainly fight or flight. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I don't really have any, like, strong disagree. It's 
kind of hard to like define it because like my ideal is perhaps not my best and that's really just a semantic difference here like technically Jonathan Erickson is a better NHL defender than uh Dennis Chalowski is yeah does yeah. that mean that I want yeah. Erickson yeah. over Chalowski no because of, I think that's inappropriate for what I think the Red Wings ought to be doing at the defensive position right now. So uh, I'm going to assume that, that by best, Peter meant I like your ideal for what the Red Wings ought to be doing. And in and, and that case, uh, the answers that you guys gave are are right in line with my thoughts. So Rhode Island Reds says, what are you serving for dinner on opening night? Uh, a crouton and a glass of water so I can have plenty of room for all the tears. A $5 hot and ready pizza, and if you don't, then you just hate this team. I love it. (laughs) Bile. Just piles and piles of bile. No, ideally it's it's going to be something uh, hot and ready and and cheap and easy, like me. <laughs> and Uncle Bingo uh, snuck one in uh, under the wire after we started asking these, but before we finished, so we'll count it. Uh, just how ugly are the Jets jerseys on a scale of one to ten? God, eleven. And, and they uh, they could have just like, you know, when they like the tweet that they sent out with uh, those third jerseys, they could have just sent a picture of like some unbuttered toast to get the message across, <laughs> because those are just like so bland and so boring, yeah, and good. it's. Yeah, and and like otherwise, like the Jets regular jerseys are good. I think they're they're like I think they're really good looking jerseys. <laughs> Their third jersey is just such a waste of time. Every jersey is a waste yeah, of time unless they're going with their original. Yeah. My my scale on the one to ten answer is it's a seven because seven is the single most generic answer on a scale of one to ten you'll ever see. <laughs> And that's only fitting for these Jets jerseys. They're not, like, disgustingly horrible like those, like, the the Blues jerseys that had the trumpets on them. Um, Those were just god-awful. These are just, like, they're they're generic. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's... It's like a the the it, they might as well just say sports on them. <laughs> it's a go go sports team. So Uncle Bingo's follow up question: That are we bad people if we don't think the design is all that horrible? And my answer to that is is no. Like I said, it's it's generic. It's it's almost like designed to like not hate it, and it it makes me hate it even more to. That you tried to sneak something that, but I I don't mind other people just like ah it's not that bad. Like if you say like oh it's really good, then I think you're you're terrible vanilla margarine eating dipshit. But I still like you. We still love you. 
All right. Um, so and the last it. question. Is that our last question? Okay, we got yeah, one, what, more. Uh, one more. Do we see a split a split squad game uh, again Saturday and Sunday or a more cohesive unit? And I think that we're still – those will be games three and four of an eight-game preseason. Uh, we'll still be dealing with mm-hmm. uh, with split squad by that point, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. So I will kick it back to Kyle now because we are done with reader questions. One last question. Um, my reader question, my listener question. Uh, end of the season, uh, Clonwell says he wants to stay for another year for a uh, veteran contract. One million with uh, veteran bonuses. Yes or no? Oh, damn! That depends. The, the knee jerk has to say no, just because I don't want the Red Wings to be in a situation where it would be acceptable. But if everything is like basically equal to where it is right now, I would say yes. I'm gonna say yes. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna say yes. Yeah. If I mean. Let's say, like, Jensen, let's say we lose two veterans to trades or whatever. We'll say, like, Jensen and one other defenseman, veteran defenseman, are are out. Then, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm totally fine with Cronwall sticking around on a one-year thing and, and, and yeah, teaching Chalowski his ways or whoever, you know. All right. That's, uh, that's a good way to close it out, I think. Um, so, uh, fellas, any uh, final hockey-related thoughts before we uh, close it out? Yeah, no, there. I've murdered my hockey brain. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for letting me join in uh, late. And uh, my final hockey-related thought is that I'm glad hockey is back. God damn, it feels good. Um, so... For that, for Mike, for JJ, for myself, Kyle, thank you for listening to us tonight, today, tomorrow, whenever you listen to us. Have a great day or night. Wing it.